minute. Father Peter announced on February 11th that the indoor masking requirement has been lifted. Father Peter explained that after consulting Villanova's medical team and the pandemic policy committee, along with the high vaccination and booster percentage on campus, this decision was warranted. The policy became effective on Monday, February 14th. Moving forward, masks are not required outdoors or indoors. However, any community member who feels more comfortable wearing a mask is encouraged to do so. Additionally, all community members are expected to continue to have a mask with them at all times. Finally, faculty may require students to wear masks in their classes, laboratories, or offices, and students must comply with this request. In other news, this Thursday, February 17th, the Business and Entertainment Society will be hosting a guest speaker. Alumni Mark Fleming, manager for quality and continuous improvement at YouTube, will be discussing his experiences in the entertainment industry, including with Netflix and Sony, how Villanova prepared him for his career, and any advice he may have for students interested in the field. The event will take place via Zoom from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. this Thursday. RSVP on VUGroups.com for more information. With this week's Villanova Campus Minute, I'm Gabriella Rafool from the WXVU Newsroom. It's Friday afternoon, and you're listening to WBXU 89.1, The Roar. Uh, this is the Scoop and Score radio show. It's our first time on the air. How's it going, everybody? And welcome. I'm your host, Clayton Perona, and I'm here with co-hosts Matt Topoleski and Jason Verville. And we are excited to be here and talk sports with you for the next 90 minutes. Since our first time on the air, uh, Topo, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about you and our show? Uh, thank you, Clayne. I am uh, Matt Topoleski. I'm from West Colwood, New Jersey, and um, my favorite sports teams are the Giants, Yankees. Obviously, I love Nova basketball. I'm a Devils fan, and I know a little bit about the NBA, so I'm excited to talk about sports with you guys. Uh, Jason, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, I'm Jason Burville. I'm from Long Island, New York. Uh, big Islander fan, big Jet fan, love Nova basketball, too. Yankee fan, and uh, a little bit of a Nick fan, but season's not going too well. Excited to talk about sports with all of you. And then I'm Clayton Perona, and uh, I'm from St. Louis. Uh, big Cardinals and Blues fan, also a big Chiefs fan. So, yeah, excited to be here. I think we're mainly going to focus on Villanova sports and then some general NFL, MLB, uh, you know, the, the business. Uh, so, yeah, let's start with some college basketball. Topo. Let's do it. So, what a game Tuesday. Uh, Villanova defeated Providence 89-84 on the road in a tough Dunkin' Donuts arena. Uh, Justin Moore had one of his best games of the season with 19 points and 10 rebounds. And Colin Gillespie had a career high in points, leading all scorers with 33. So let's get into this by uh, talking about what this game means for the Wildcats and the rest of the Big East. Yeah, I think this is... This shows that Villanova is still very clearly at the top. We went into Providence. It was on the road. Everyone knows it's tough to win in the Big East on the road. 
Uh, and we, we handled it. It was a close game. We played well at the end. Colin Gillespie hit the dagger that stunned the entire Dunkin' Donuts arena. Showed that we were still the best. Uh, it, Villanova is the team to beat in the Big East. Might be the team to beat in all of college basketball. Jason, what do you think? Well, I would say it was definitely a big game, considering coming into the game, you know, 5-4 and four against ranked teams, having some tough losses early in the year. It was definitely good to go on the road and beat a quality opponent. It was something that we needed, and it also showed that, you know, when Colin and Moore get hot, there's really nothing other teams could do to stop them. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, definitely the biggest game of the year. And, uh, you know, I feel like in college basketball this year, the trend has been the home team is usually one. So going into probably one of the top five toughest environments and pulling out a close win is exactly the definition of Big East basketball. And we did that, and we, you know, because if Providence won, they're probably going to win the regular season title. So we went in there, you know, and uh, just played Villanova basketball and got the job done on the road. It was awesome to see as a fan. Do you think, what, what chances do we have of winning the Big East regular season now? Um, we control it, Jesse, at this point. Um, we got Georgetown Saturday. We got UConn Tuesday, and that's the game. We have to beat UConn Tuesday, and it's on the road, so it's going to be tough. Then we face Butler, but before we do that, we face Providence. So Providence's schedule is Crane, Xavier, us, and then they face, uh, I believe they face, They face Butler as well. So Butler, Xavier, Crane, Nova, and then we have UConn, Georgetown, Butler, Providence. So if both teams stay undefeated with the games not played by each other, I think uh, I think we could be uh, heading for a March 1st Big East regular season title at the fifth. Providence got very lucky, though, with the schedule they have remaining. Yeah. I, other than us, it's three, it's three games that – you would expect a team at the top of the Big East to be able to pull off. We have some tough ones still. Thankfully, we have Georgetown on Saturday. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Senior night at the Finn. What do you think our chances are? Pretty pretty confident? I mean, this is a team that hasn't – like, Georgetown hasn't won a Big East game all year. So, if we – it would be catastrophic to lose on senior night at home at the Finn. Yeah, it, it would be very, very unfortunate. Tavo? Yeah, I'm expecting us to come out. You know, all fired up and ready to go. This is an emotional night for the seniors, especially. You know, it's um, it's no disrespect to Georgetown, but it's Georgetown at home. I mean, that's like the easiest you can easiest game you can get in the Big East, which obviously is a grind all all year long. So if we can, you know, take care of business, and I, I feel good about our chances of of possibly going undefeated down the rest of the line. So then to uh, to transition into more. Uh, just Big East in general. Uh, who do you think we, if we match up against, say, UConn or even Marquette in the tournament, what do you think our chances would be there? Um, I like our chances. Now, Marquette beat us twice, but it's always hard to beat a team three times, but they match up well against us. You know, in college basketball, it's always about matchups. So Marquette doesn't really match up. Like, I mean, we don't really match up against Marquette well, so it would be tough if let's just say we're the two seed and the three seed. But if we're the one seed in the tournament, then I like our chances because I don't think Marquette is third in the Big East standings right now. I think Crane's third, actually. So if Crane and UConn are 3-4, then the question is, would we rather face Crane or UConn? 
in the semis if we can beat the quarterfinal team. But if, if we're one then and Marquette's five, that could be a matchup in That's the semifinals. True. That's mm-hmm. true. That's true. So, but, you know, it's the Big East tournament. We got, we got upset by Georgetown last year, and they were the eighth seed. And I, I think the eighth seed would be way better this year. It's, it's just going to be tough. And it's good, too, because we're playing in front of fans at the MSG Arena, finally. Finally, a true Big East tournament for the first time in three years. So it's just going to be an awesome event. I mean, just I, I think overall this is going to be one of the tougher Big East tournaments in a while. You have six teams. Well, yeah, you have six teams that are almost like in the should-be-in bubble category for the tournament. And you have seven teams that could realistically make it. The main thing about Marquette is their tempo definitely doesn't match well. Like, we don't match well with their tempo at all. So if we could avoid them in the Big East tournament, I think that would be huge to, to go in and win that tournament. So would you rather get second place in the Big East to be able to avoid Marquette until possibly a championship game? No, because you, you, you never want to pass on a, on a regular season title. But that Marquette would be, that would be the team I'd want to avoid in the tournament. I don't know how it would work out, but somehow try, try to not play them. The only thing is that, like Tapo said, they, they had beaten us twice, so uh, it would be hard to beat Villanova three times in one year. What's a team, 6-11, to 11, that you don't want to face in the quarters? Honestly, St. John's. I think their pace of play is very good. They're, they can – there were some tough games. We ended up pulling it out against them at MSG, but they're playing in New York. You know, home field advantage in college basketball is, is crazy. Everyone knows that. They could, they could be a, a sneaker team to go on a run. Yeah, I'm going to say Seton Hall. Uh, both games were decided by six. Probably a biggest rival in the past five years. They always play us close, no matter who. You know, Bryce Aikens obviously had an injury, but he put up 20 points at the Prudential against us. Uh, Kadari Richmond, James Roden, you know, uh, Obiaku. So they're always a tough team for us. And they, they gave us a run for our money at Wells Fargo. We did pull with the win, but... I know they would be coming for vengeance for that their time at MSG. Yeah, I would. Uh, I, I would have to second that Seton Hall. I mean, knowing that they almost came into Wells Fargo and beat us, and talking about home field, there will probably be a, a solid amount of Seton Hall fans at MSG. So, and considering they played us tough this year, you know, it's hard to beat a team three times. That would be. That that would be a tough team to face. Yeah, it's it's going to be a grind no matter who we play, but it's it's going to be fun. The the end of the Big East. Uh, regular season is going to be a blast, and end of college basketball altogether will be a blast. So it, it's going to be fun to see how this all shakes out. Uh, moving on to more general college basketball stuff, Villanova, uh, the NCAA selection committee is set to release their top 16 teams tomorrow. They're ranking them all 1-4 to four and putting them in regions. Uh, most experts were predicting that it's going to be Gonzaga, Auburn, Arizona, and Kansas on the top four teams, and Villanova will be coming in near a three-seed. Do you think do you think those teams deserve to be one seeds? I do. Uh, Gonzaga, Auburn, Arizona, and Kansas. Definitely, definitely the three. Gonzaga, Auburn, Arizona. I think right now are locks, unless otherwise in like the later games. The question is, who's going to be that fourth one seed? And I think right now Kansas is probably the best fit there. Uh, they beat Baylor. They've played tough games, so I, I'd say right. I mean, I'd say Kansas definitely deserves to be in the one line. I mean, personally, I think the Big 12 is probably the toughest conference in college basketball this year. You have a team like uh, Oklahoma and Iowa State that have 
awful Big 12 records but are still on that bubble watch for the tournament. I think the main thing will be, I uh, talent-wise, I think uh, Kentucky could move into that one line, so it's just whether a team like Arizona, Kansas, or Auburn would fall out, uh, either through the bad regular season finish or an early exit in their respective conference tournaments. Yeah, I was thinking Kentucky might be a one seed, and then they got killed by Tennessee. And I mean, we all know we're Villanova fans. We handle Tennessee pretty easily. So I think, I think that shows we're right up there with the best of them. There's no dominant team in college basketball this year. So I don't, I don't know how many of them, how many of the one seeds are really deserving, at least compared to last year. But it's not like there's anyone else that can really step up and take it from them, at least at this point. Yeah, no one separated like Gonzaga and Baylor last year. Like those were the two top teams, and they proved why they were in the championship game. So um, I think right now there's tiers of teams, but there's no like one or two teams that are clearly the best team in the league. Well, and at the it's currently one twelve p.m. and you're listening to eighty nine point one WXVU the Roar, uh, and we've all with the NCAA selection committee setting set to release their top 16 teams tomorrow we've all come up with our own list not what we think the committee is going to do but what we would do if we were the committee so uh top of let's start out with you who are your four one seeds my four one seeds are gonzaga auburn arizona and kansas in that order so you just went with the the classic expert believed predictions i did i think right now those four clearly uh, at least uh, definitely the three and i was between Kansas and two other teams, and I'm only Kansas right now, but that's going to change with three weeks left of basketball. So Auburn barely beating Georgia and then losing to Arkansas. It doesn't change anything for you. You still think they're one of the clear top three teams? Oh, clearly. I think they're clearly one of the top three teams. Both of their losses came in overtime, so uh, it just shows that they are really a good team, and they have probably the best front court in, in, the, in the league, not besides Gonzaga. Okay, Jason, who are your four one seeds? I have the same teams, but the order switched up a little bit. I have Gonzaga, Arizona, Kansas, and then Auburn. Wow, wow. You, you guys are not going to like mine. <laughs> why Auburn four? Yeah, why, why those four? Uh, I thought I thought that loss at Arkansas and some of those close games like that went to Georgia. Like, if, if you're going to be a top three team in the nation, you can't have games like that, especially this late in the year. Like, you, you should have it figured out. You, you should be able to easily beat Georgia if you're by far the best team in the SEC, and they just they just couldn't do that. Yeah, I have Auburn at eight. Oh my god! <laughs> they're not they're not that good. Who? They have looked bad game in and game out. They're playing in a weak SEC conference. They have like easy games every night. When they, when they have tough games like against Arkansas, they lose. What's gonna happen to them when they get to March where they have to play? A tough game. I mean, we don't. They could struggle against a 16 seed, but the way they're playing against Georgia, but they, I don't, I don't trust them at all. They're the eighth best team in the country in my eyes. I mean, well, one thing I will say is that, like matchup wise, they have a great front court. But if you have a team that has big guards like Arkansas does, that can get down to the elbow. I, I think, like if you get a team that has two big guards in the tournament, they could get an early exit for Auburn there. Even then, like Georgia's best player is like six foot. And they were, That's true. They, they were going toe-to-toe with Auburn. And Georgia's probably the worst team in the power conferences this year. 
So I, I can't in good faith put Auburn in top five. They're barely a two seed in my eyes. That's the definition of SEC basketball right there. It's going to be a tough grind every single night. And Georgia came out to play, but Auburn got the job done. They still got the W on the, on the, the, the standings. Yeah, and then they lost Arkansas the next uh, week. So In overtime on the road. So, you know, it's, they're going to they're gonna play these tough games. They're prepared for March, and they're going to go on a deep run. There, there are so many good teams, though, in college basketball. It's not like Auburn is elite. We said it earlier. There are teams, there's not two teams that you know are better than everybody else like there were last year. So Auburn's a good team, but they're still the eighth best team in the conference, or in the league. Well, one thing that I will say is that I, as much as I wanted to move them down to the two line, they do only have two losses while you have like Kentucky, Baylor, uh, and teams like that, Nova, five, six losses. So as of right now, I found it tough to bring Auburn down. But like I said earlier, if, if they if they get another loss at the end of the regular season here, have an early exit in the SEC tournament, because the SEC is not as strong as either the Big East or Big 12 this year, I could definitely see that moving down to the 2-1. So who are your one seeds? All right, number one overall, Arizona. You guys all had that. I, th- I think they, they don't have very many losses. We saw them against UCLA. They beat them. They beat USC. They're winning these tough games. They're looking good doing it. Number two. Kansas, they, they <laughs> I know Tavo doesn't like that. Bill Self is a great coach right now, though. They beat Baylor easily. They destroyed Baylor, and that's that's exactly what I want to see from my top teams. They got to be able to beat the good teams. But Kansas against Baylor is a clear blowout, and then you got Auburn barely being able to beat Georgia. I don't think Auburn lost a day in though. So we're going. If we go all the way back to November, sure, maybe there's not a case. But I'm talking about right now, in February, tournaments a month away. It's, I I think Kansas is the second best team in the country right now. And then at number three, Villanova. We are playing hotter than anybody. We are on fire. We just went into a tough, tough Dunkin' Donuts arena, and we beat Providence. We are doing everything that's asked of us right now, and if aside from the Marquette games, I don't know who can beat us. Why? Why don't you like that? It just I, as much as like you could say the WCC is weak, Gonzaga does have two losses, and they're blowing everybody out. You have you have St. Mary's, who's like who's going to be a tournament team, getting blown out by like twenty, and people are saying that was a great game by St. Mary's. Gonzaga your fourth best team. Gonzaga's five. Who's your fourth? Texas Tech. Oh, my God. Gonzaga beat Texas Tech. <laughs> Early in the year. Gonzaga, oh Gonzaga, we see it every single year. They play the easiest conference schedule ever. The, the hardest part about college basketball is playing the same teams night in and night out. And Gonzaga just doesn't have to worry about that. The only thing we have to judge them by is how they played in November. And it's a completely different uh, league right now than it was November. One thing I will say, uh, I saw a stat since 2014, Nova's second in their winning percentage against uh, power five teams and number one is Gonzaga and y- you could take that with a grain of salt saying they're playing teams in early November but th- they've also won the most tournament games recently so they're beating like good power five teams whereas you have some other teams they get to play Northwestern uh, DePaul each and every year like this is a team that wins more far more often than not against these power five schools and for the most part they are the teams that are in the tournament and are playing very good basketball come March. Who did Gonzaga beat in the tournament last year? Who was the best team they beat? They beat USC. That, exactly, they beat their great. best. They beat a tough UCLA team that gave them everything. 
What what seed was UCLA? Eleven. Oh, so their best win was an eleven seed. Their best win was. And they they almost let come to overtime. And look, the problem is you can't do that in March because you don't control who you face. Really, it's all because Houston was a two seed and they faced all double digit seeds and they got to the final four. Right, and I'm not going to give Houston that much credit either for beating double digit seeds. I mean, you, you can't. I, I mean, you, you can't. I guess, but at the same time, you just have to let them play out. You know, I, whatever you get, you get, and you gotta take advantage of it. If every you year, double-digit seeds, you have to take advantage of it, and that's advantage to single seeds then. Sure, but they they take advantage of the double-digit seeds, and then as soon as they face a tough team, they they flail. They they got destroyed by Baylor in the championship game because that was the first good team they played. I'll agree with you with that. I'll agree with you with that. But the road to get there, that's not Houston's fault. When Houston faces Baylor, that's another thing, okay? Then Houston's not prepared. But maybe Baylor was just the better team. Maybe it wasn't Houston. Maybe Baylor was just beating everybody out of the, 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 the gymnasium. Yeah, I'm not I'm not blaming Gonzaga and Houston for not playing anyone to get to the Final Four. I'm just saying as soon as they face a good team, they lost. So we can't really give them credit for being this, like, Goliath of a team when as soon as they face one good team, they're terrible. You're right. And I'm and, excited to see Gonzaga in the tournament because I think their offense is actually better than last year, even without Kispert and Jalen Suggs. I, w- I would actually argue that their defense is better this year. Their offense is right around the same playing field, but their defense is better. And while Holmgren struggled early in the year, he's he, he's really looked good the past few weeks. Like I, having, ha- having him compared to last year, I, I, think, I think they have a shot this year. I still don't think we can really judge them because they play in the West Coast Conference. But, like, a- as... As much as the as it's not a great conference, I think this year it's actually. But you have St. Mary's, San Fran, which is gonna probably be in the tournament. You have B- BYU, just another bubble team. So you have potentially four teams from that conference that could make it. So I think that just shows that they're still playing well when the conference is a little tougher. Now it it doesn't deserve a lot of credit because compared to the Power Five conferences, it's nothing. But yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of the WCC, but you can't. Hamper Gonzaga for absolutely dominating that conference year in and year out. But you can't give him credit like it's the greatest thing in the world. The, the thing is, though, they dominate that conference and then they still beat Power 5 teams. They haven't gotten the job done yet. And I, you know what? You can hamper them all you want because they haven't won a championship yet. But if they do, then I think this argument of them not doing good in March needs to end. If, if they win a championship, I'll be the first person to congratulate them and say I was wrong about them. But, but you can't say that beating power conference teams in November leads to beating power conference teams in March. Sure. These teams are completely well, different at the beginning of the year. Sure, I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah, I, I agree. But saying, like, they got they, – they lost to the best team in college basketball last year in the championship game. So, like, you can't take that much credit away. But who did they beat to get there? UCLA probably played their best game of the season by far. That like that. They're an 11 seed though. That's not saying anything. Okay, so Baylor had a Baylor had a tougher road. They had to beat us. They had to beat Arkansas. They had to beat Houston. But before that, maybe Baylor was just a better team in general. The, yeah, obviously, Baylor's a good team. So we were also. Gonzaga's not. But but saying they're not as good as Baylor is not really saying anything bad about them because Baylor was just. Baylor was dominant. But everyone was acting like it was 1-2, Baylor and Gonzaga are right up there. So what would you say if Gonzaga had the same road as Baylor and Baylor had the same road as Gonzaga and Baylor still beat Gonzaga in the title? I would say that Baylor had the good experience of playing in a power conference the entire schedule. So they were able to face Kansas. They were able to face Oklahoma, yeah, Oklahoma then, State, Texas, Texas Tech. But then Gonzaga was able to face Baylor's schedule even if they're in the WCC and got to the championship game, beating Whatever Get that, that, I yes, I would be way more impressed with Mark View and Gonzaga if they were able to do that. 
think they're they're literally a lock to make the Sweet 16. The question. Yes, is the so Sweet 16, because they can beat a, a 16 seed I and an agree. 8 seed. Well, you know what? I'm excited to see what Gonzaga has. But what if that 8 seed's Wyoming? <laughs> you you and Wyoming. From Phil and Nova's perspective, I'll tell you this: Gonzaga is one of two teams I don't want to see. Why? Because I don't think we have a chance to guard Holmgren, and he's not even the best player. Timmy's the best player in that court. Gonzaga wouldn't have, be ready. And then you have Nembhard, and then you have Hunter Salas. Gonzaga is used to playing San Francisco and St. Mary's. We'll What's going to happen when they face Villanova? You know, then bring me Gonzaga. Let's yeah, let's let's, let's get this. Gonzaga. Let's do this. All right, uh, and then two seed line. Well, we already talked about Gonzaga. They're number. They're the five seed for me, five overall. And then we got Kentucky, Purdue, and Auburn. What are your thoughts? Same thoughts I had on the first. I guess Auburn and Kentucky are European two seeds. Uh, Why do you think Auburn's that much better than Kentucky? Let me let me tell you this, okay? Auburn, nine in and nine out, competes, same thing with Kentucky, but at the same time, Kentucky just lost to Tennessee. And Auburn only lost in overtime, actually double overtime to UConn, and then overtime on the road to uh, Arkansas. So they have great quality wins. They haven't lost as much as Kentucky. What are their I great think. quality wins? Let's pull it up, shall we? Maybe Kentucky. Kentucky is their one quality win. They beat Kentucky by nine. Yeah, they beat Kentucky a month ago. They beat Kentucky, by, but they haven't lost, and that's the thing. That's the thing. The SEC is... It's the same argument with Gonzaga. Is a t- well, they're going to get their chances in the next couple of weeks. With who? They, their, their next five games are Florida, Ole Miss, Tennessee. That's going to be tough. And then Mississippi State and South Carolina. Yeah, and That's the, four easy, easy and, wins. And they're on the road in three of the five, and they struggle. On the road at Florida is not that big of a and deal right now. they struggle to beat Missouri and Georgia. I'll give you that. But if they come out and they dominate Florida, they dominate Mississippi State, I think you can see the growth. And I think you can, you know, jump on Auburn's uh, bandwagon. Sure, but the fact that we have to look for their growth right now means they're not a one seed. You're wrong. Auburn is clearly a one seed. I think you're the only person on the planet that disagrees. They're top five in my favorite stat. You'll hear this a lot, fellas. Ken Palm. <laughs> They're also top ten in net. So if you have them any, you have them eight too. You have the eighth best team. Ever. Top ten in net. What are they in net? Let me see. Let me check my net rankings. If if they're if they're number eight in net, you gotta give me a lot of credit right here. They're number seven in net. <laughs> so you have them as two overall. I have them as eight overall. Yeah, and your your net rankings that you like have them at seven. They're not gonna be the eighth best team. They're not the eighth best team. They're the seventh best team. They're not the seventh best team. They're up there. Net rankings are not. It, Houston's four. They're they're seven. They're seven in net and five in Kempom. So to put them at two is a little ridiculous. To put them two is fine. It's, it's fine. The, the, the only reason I have them at four is because they have those two losses. Do I think uh, Kentucky can beat them at home, on the road, at any time? Yes. But uh, the only That's reason, why I put Kentucky ahead of Auburn. The only reason I have them at, at, on the one line is those two losses. I respect, whereas Kentucky has, I respect your opinion. I respect your opinion because Jason and Klain are SEC haters. Uh, they are SEC haters. But come Saturday, expect Auburn ladies and gentlemen, to be a one seed and not the eighth best team. The losses thing kind of bothers me, though, because their their toughest game was UConn in on-conference, and they lost that, 
And then what was their yeah, second you, you conference? St. Louis? Lost to, you, you talk about how November lost it to Omada. They lost in November in double overtime. So. I'm not, I'm not like saying that it was bad of them. I'm saying that they have no quality wins. Their best win is St. Louis out of conference. Or Nebraska. And Nebraska's one of the worst Big Ten teams. I think you're, over, you're looking at a team to see if they're ranked on, on schedule and you're thinking that's a quality win. A lot of the teams that you're not talking about are still quad one wins for Auburn. They're seven and two in quad one. They're six and zero oh in quad two. So they are a combined total of thirteen and two in quad one and quad two games. So they're beating the quality teams. Those are tournament teams. Those are not the ranked teams. They're not going to face top ten teams every single night. But they're facing quality tournament opponents every night and are still beating them. But to say that you're going to put them on the one seed line only because they have two losses is it, it shouldn't happen. No, I'm not saying that their body of work. That's what Jason just said. Their body of work shows for itself. Plus. The eye test, which, okay, the eye test, sure. A lot of people, I'm not the biggest eye test guy, but if I had to finally come out and say the eye test, they're up there with the, the best of the best. So you didn't watch the Missouri game or the Georgia game? Because the eye, the eye test was very clear in those games. <laughs> I'm shocked you uh, you watched that game. Why? Because you wanted the upset. Uh, I just you, love you college could, basketball. You could smell an upset, and guess what? I don't need them to win. I need them to show that Auburn is fraudulent. That's all I need to see, and I got it. So you have Auburn eight. Jason, you want to say two seats? Yeah, so I have Kentucky at five, Texas Tech at six, Purdue at seven, Baylor at eight. All right, I have that with a different order. I have Purdue five, Kentucky six, Texas Tech seven, and Baylor eight. Texas Tech, I... Texas Tech this year, I, I just I, I really love their team. They have, they have a great defense. They're only held back by their shooting and turnovers. But if they can just get their offense going a little bit, I think as shown when they beat Baylor this week, I think they can be an A team in the Big 12, which then can translate to being an A team in college basketball. Do you guys are still high on Baylor to have him as a two seed? Well, the reason why I have them at eight is because when they're when they played healthy, they haven't lost a game yet, and just that they've just been killed by injuries, and I think that it just like they, uh, with Cha Cha for the year they may be forced to play out a small ball, but I, I still think them winning the tournament last year and having not lost a game with a healthy roster shows that if they can get a few guys back, they're still one of like the top eight ten teams in college basketball. Yeah, Jason's right, uh, but you're also right, Clayton, in the fact that I definitely struggled to put Baylor on the two was leading towards putting him on a three until I left him up to a two, but when they're healthy, they're one of the best of the best, but they've definitely been inconsistent. And right now, I think they're a two seed, but they're probably going to be a three seed out of it. I, I would also agree with that. Yeah, I have them as a three seed at number ten overall. Uh, and that, yeah, I, I, I don't mind them being a three, you know. It, it, two or a three. Yeah, I mean, for, for, for me, them, like them, Nova, Duke, all those three teams are right fringe two, three for me. Mm-hmm. You could you could put either of those three teams at eight, and it wouldn't wouldn't be a problem for me. So then going to the three seed, yeah, I have Duke, I have Baylor, I have Providence, and then Tennessee. Do you think Providence deserves to be a three seed? Yes. Yeah. 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 I think Providence played really well against us, and I guess I was part of the Providence isn't that great club, but I haven't watched them play, so I was didn't have anything to back it up. But watching them play us t- 
Tuesday proved to me that they really are for real. I mean, just just like the thing about that game, you have a guy in Durham who just it felt like he could get inside on us every single time. And knowing that one of their best players in Reeves got he had two fouls, I think like two minutes into the game. So that being a five point game with one of their better players getting the foul trouble early just shows how good of a team they are and the depth that they have. So let me ask you a question. Why don't you give Villanova more credit for beating them? If you still have Villanova as a three seed. Because I think they were a low three seed before, and I think they're a high three seed now. They're not the top eight teams yet. Yet. But I think they can be. But beating a, a three seed on the road, yes, that's very impressive. I'll give you that, but the metrics didn't back Providence up. Like, their Ken Palm rankings are abysmal. Uh, like, 47 in Ken Palm now. But you still have them as a top 12 team. Providence? Yeah. I do still have Providence because I think... So you're going by your rankings or Ken Palm's rankings? I'm going by my rankings just based on the fact that I actually saw them play and they actually looked good. And so, Ken Palm is not always right. So I, beating I'm a top 12 team has to count for something. It does. It does. But Nova still has losses to, like... They still lost to Baylor. They still lost to Purdue. They still lost to UCLA. I mean, yeah, the, the, those losses for me made it hard to put them above Purdue and Baylor, especially because, like I said, like the thing with Baylor being healthy. But I I feel like that win against Providence moves, moved us from a low three to a high three, and I think if we continue playing the ball that we're playing right now, I could easily see us as a mid-two seed come tournament time. It, it's tough, though, because we lost to UC we tied UCLA essentially and then lost in overtime on the road early in the season we had a big lead against Purdue it was just we had uh, trouble closing out games and we just showed against Providence that we have that ability now now that Longino's playing more and BA's playing more so I think we could easily hang with UCLA and probably kill them now and same with Purdue Actually, the thing about that in those games we we ran like basically as we, we played six guys in yeah. both those games and just when you no matter how good you are like when you just have six guys running all game they're going to get tired. They're going to get a little lazy at the end. They're, someone's going to get in foul trouble. Now knowing that we have Longino and B.A., that since they ha- have experience not only playing, but we're also playing them in some of our bigger games, I think that that game against Providence showed that we can close out on the road against anyone. Yeah, uh, you know, you were right. UCLA was essentially a tie. Purdue, we did blow a lead. So if we're a three seed, like, watch out because we're – a tough three seed, so just look for warning to all the two and one seeds. But my three seeds are is Duke, that's the first three seed, then Nova, then Providence, and UCLA. So that's how I would rank my three seeds. My I have Nova, Duke, Wisconsin, and Providence. Wisconsin, just Johnny Davis is a is a totally complete superstar. Ha- having him on the floor, I think they they have the ceiling. They're not going to be as consistent. But they have that ceiling to go in and beat anyone. What about the, the the Rutgers game? Didn't throw you off them at all? Well, Rutgers is what Rutgers is arguably the hottest team in college basketball right now. It was in Madison though. But just that Rutgers is Rutgers went into uh, Illinois, won on the road. They've they've gone every big game that they had recently has brought them from a team that I, I was not even on anyone's radar probably like a month ago to now being on everybody's bubble watch. And they they won every big game they've had to to bring themselves back into the tournament picture. Yeah, that that's fair. I've Wisconsin at sixteen, so yeah, I I think they're still a top four team. Yeah, top I also four seed. Wisconsin at sixteen, so um, they're they're getting good. They got great depth. Johnny Davidson, 
Brian Davison, but they're they got a little bit of work to do to get up to the top three seeds, in my opinion. So. And then on the four line, I we talked about earlier. I have Wisconsin at sixteen, and then Illinois at thirteen, USC fourteen, UCLA fifteen. USC fourteen. Yes. Why? I think well, they were twenty one, and then they uh, in the AP poll, and they just beat UCLA. So you gotta give them credit for that win. I think they're showing that they are on the rise. They're legit. So yeah, I have them at four seed. Where's uh? Where's uh? The net ranking number for the uh, seventh best Kempom seed in Houston. Where are they on your ranking? They are in the American Conference. So I give them no credit. Oh, gosh. So, where's Houston on yours? Houston is 15 on mine. Uh, Houston's also 15 on mine. Yeah, well, uh, so, so much for the Kempom rankings. Well, Houston did lose two times in a row, I believe. They lost at Memphis, which Memphis is gonna the top team if they. They haven't been tough for anybody else. Yeah, I know, I know, but Memphis is playing good basketball now, and we'll see what they do. But I have Illinois thirteen, um, but they, they dropped for me from the three seed from that Rutgers loss. Tennessee is rising. Tennessee has wins against Kentucky and Arizona, um, so they are, they are for real. And I think they'll be a tough team. So they're, they're, they'll be a tough four seed for me. But Illinois, Tennessee, Houston, and Wisconsin are my fours. I have uh, Illinois, UCLA, Houston, and Tennessee. What, what they, like Houston, the fact that they lost their best player this year and are still dominating the AC, aside from these two recent games, you know, these two, I would be very surprised if Houston did not win the ACC tournament. And by win, I mean go in and ha- handle it pretty easily. If they don't, that's a huge red flag yes, going into the yes. tournament. So say they don't, they would probably drop from a four seed to me to even like probably like six seven area if they if they can't win the AAC tournament. Yeah, if if they win the AAC, I'll I'll move them back up to a four. Okay. But that's fair. Who I, uh did, were there any teams? Because my like fringe teams that I wanted, to, I had Texas on the fringe just because good coach and Big Twelve is the toughest conference college basketball. I also had I also was thinking about USC. Because that was a very impressive win against UCLA, and I did have Marquette near there, but I just I couldn't bring them in the four. I I want to bring them in the four, but yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, just they're not, like they're not good enough. Knowing that they beat us twice, it's just like beating a team like us is very promising. But they're just not they haven't been uh, c- consistent enough after that hot streak. Just ha- ha- haven't seen enough the past week. I always mention how that loss at home is such a bad loss, and I will continue to do that until March. That was a rough one, but Marquette, when they're for real, like they can, they can beat anybody, in my opinion. But they got they're they're too inconsistent. I mean, they're, the, they're the their main team. thing is that they're like they play at such a fast tempo that they just match up so well against us. Say say they play another team that likes to run the court, plays at a fast pace. Their talent is not going to line up with a team like even teams I on like Texas, OSU, Tennessee, Houston, like a, a, any team like that. If they the same style. That they're not going to be able to handle that. So, looking forward into the tournament, out of these 16 teams, who has the best chance to win it all? Villanova. Yeah, obviously. Nova Nation, I'll go with that. Yep. You guys are... Well, who... After, after trashing me for my Nova pick <laughs> as a one seed, you cannot come in and say that. I will honestly say, and I know what they're going to say, oh, I can't pick a champion. 
Uh, why? Why would we say that? Can you give us a little history? A little backstory. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> my champion has never gone to the final four before, and that's gonna end this year. When did you start picking champions? Uh, twenty fifteen. Duke's year that they won the title. I picked Arizona. It's been downhill from there, but uh, seven year, seven tournaments strong. Seven tournaments strong, and I am zero for seven. <laughs> On making the final four, not uh, even winning it. Yeah, yeah, I'm good at picking games, but not picking at all. But this year, I've got some teams that I like, so watch out. Who are the teams? Uh, Villanova. Oh obviously. no! Obviously, up there, up there. Please um, don't. <laughs> I think it could be anybody. However, their depth is a concern and will always be a concern. But when Gillespie plays prop, like for that, I guess. The way he played against Providence against any other team, I think we're fine. But I'm going to say, um, I really like Arizona. Arizona just plays at a tough tempo, and, um, you know, they're not the best three-point shooting team, but they play tough. And um, I think most people would probably say Gonzaga, but I don't like picking them more than overall seeds. So I'm going to say. Maybe that's why you have never gotten to the Final Four. Because uh, they're number Gonzaga one overall seed. for a reason. Gonzaga is probably a lot to make, at least the Final so if I want to get that off my chest, is that a booking moment for you, or that is not a booking moment for me? When do you uh, book things? I will book things after the um, conference tournaments. After Gonzaga beats everybody by thirty in the WCC, which I'll agree is the worst setup bracket in college basketball. <laughs> Their bracket is terrible. Their bracket is awful. But after they destroy the WCC and we make these claims, and Clay comes on and says, "Up." Oh, Gonzaga's going to lose because they haven't faced anybody in the Power Five. We'll see about Gonzaga. But right now, I, I like I still like Gonzaga to at least go to this Final Four. Jason, who's your pick? So, I was I really like uh, Kentucky, but that Tennessee loss now is... I mean, the one thing, Tennessee has been hot, and Tennessee matched up pretty well. I mean... Their, their defense is always there, but they've been scoring. But I, I think if any team in the SEC is going to make it, it's going to be Kentucky. And I also really like Texas Tech. Love their defense. Uh, and it's just, they're only, like I said, the only thing that holds them back is their shooting and that they turn the ball over. But if they can, if they can find their March star, they can, they can make a run. Yeah, I'm going to go, I mean, I obviously think it's going to be Villanova. I've said it, they're a one seed. And then... Uh, if, if I had to pick a different one, I like Duke's roster a lot. I don't know. They're playing a weak ACC this year. I don't know if they will be ready, but but I, they have the talent to make a deep run. Also, this is Coach K's last year, so if Duke's going to have any magic, it'll be this year. Also, even though the ACC is weak, their four losses are by nine, like nine combined points for four losses. That just shows that like they're – they're not really like they're barely losing these games so if they can turn those close losses into wins come march which should be easy to do with the coach k run team and when yeah. you have stars duke's tough to judge because duke has those combined losses by nine points but at the same time they i think they almost have three quad three losses that's pretty bad and that's why any loss in acc will be tough 
uh, to, it may even drop Duke a seed line. So they, they really have to win out with these ACC teams. It's just because the conference is so weak this year. The ACC could only have like two tournament teams. Yeah. If the WCC gets more than the ACC, that's going to be absolutely they, ridiculous. That, that could actually happen because uh, you have Gonzaga, St. Mary's, and San Fran had that bad loss. I think it was Portland. They played them twice in like three days and lost. But they, I think I saw they were like the 10 11 seed range on a lot of people's. If you lose to Portland, you should not be in the tournament. The the WCC better lose every single game in the first round, except for Gonzaga, obviously. Uh, Some hope for Noah fans, though. I was just checking DeCourcy's bracket, who is the bracketologist for Fox Sports. He's an up and coming bracketologist. And he actually has Villanova as a two seed right now in the West region. So I still think he's going to be a three. Some people think that they're a one, but... Um, Those people are very smart. <laughs> I, you know what? Villanova's a one, please. I love that. But Villanova is probably realistically a high three, low two range. I'm interested to see where they are Saturday, though. So then, uh, coming up soon, Super Bowl... It was this past Sunday. We're gonna get our thoughts, but first, it's uh, it's 1:44 p.m. We gotta do a quick white card read. Uh, follow our sports page on Instagram. It's home to all things Villanova sports, from our radio shows to our sideline coverage with news and more. Just search up WXVU Sports. You are listening to 89.1 WVXU The Roar. And now onto the Super Bowl. Uh, the Rams defeated the Bengals 23-10 in Super Bowl 56, wrapping up the 2021 NFL season. Cooper Cup had two touchdowns and one Super Bowl MVP to put a cherry on top of his outstanding season, and he sent Joe Burrow home limping in his zebra print suit like a complete and total buffoon that Joe Burrow is. Do you think the Bengals will get back to the Super Bowl anytime soon? Uh, what do they need to get over the hump? They're, they're going to need a lot of help because if you look at the AFC, I mean, it's going to be a dogfight for the next 10, 15 years. And the fact that after the game, every single Bengals player was saying, like, oh, we'll be back, like, it was a good game, we'll be back. You, you cannot say that when you they could finish fourth in the AFC North next year. You have a good Browns team. You have the Ravens. Every single thing went wrong for them this year. Injuries to their top two running backs, their top two corners. Lamar went down. Uh, and then you have a Steelers team that, if they if they find a competent quarterback, because Big Ben was awful this year, they they have a good head coach, a solid defense, you know. And in the Bengals, I mean, it's just it seemed like a magic carpet ride this year. Like everything went right for them. So like you could say, oh, Joe Burrow's like a yeah. I mean, he he's a he's a young star, like up and coming. But AFC, you got even you got Herbert, Mahomes, Josh Allen. I mean, Zach Wilson. Uh, hopefully Zach Wilson. I haven't seen it yet, but there's there's a lot of young guys that I think will make the AFC very very tough to repeat and come out of in the next few years. Uh, do I make the hot take that the Bengals will repeat as AFC champions? Oh, no chance. There's no way. There is no they way. They will probably not because I don't trust their GM right now to get the offensive line. That that is they need an offensive line. Uh, bad. Bad. I mean, it was tough to watch Joe Burrow get sacked every play and get pressured every play. I think they have the weapons to get back there, but I also have Eli Apple. God, Eli Apple may be watching football on the couch. Um, did you guys see his uh, his his Twitter uh, tweet? He like tweeted, "I'll be back 
Yeah, I'm sure every receiver in the oh NFL is shaking in his boots he's right so now after seeing that. Bad. He's so bad. But as I was saying, <laughs> Jason, Jason said the AFC is going to be a gauntlet. Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar, rising teams, rising young quarterbacks, Herbert, you know. So it's going to be a fun It's going to be a fun competition for whoever comes out of the AFC this year. Yeah, I, I, as a Chiefs fan, I don't think the Bengals will be. Joe Burrow might never get back to a Super Bowl. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the last 16 quarterbacks that debuted and lost in the Super Bowl haven't made it back. So Last Joe how Burrow, many? 16. Oh, my. Is, which is, yeah. which is uh, like, a crazy stat to think about. But, I mean, think about recently, like, Jimmy G, Goff, Cam. Uh, I, could, I, could try yeah. to, I could pull up the graph to look for more, but it's just – it's the, the, the trend is there for these young guys. Like, you, you got to – Teams that don't go in and win their first one, it's it's really tough to make it back. Also, the Bengals are known for being relatively cheap when like re-signing guys. So, like, I doubt they re- they get the money to re-sign a guy like Jesse Bates, who is by far their leader on defense this year. Yeah, they a hundred percent have to take advantage of Burrow's three contract. hundred well, percent. Oh yeah. Do you think they'll re-sign Burrow? Of course they will. Are they gonna want to pay him the most in the NFL to not win Super Bowls? Of course. They're, they're going to strictly because like. Not only is he a good quarterback, but just like he he means he means so much to that city now that there is no way they would that they would let him go. Now, will it hurt the team in the long run? Probably, because if you don't have an offensive line now under his rookie contract, yeah. how are you going to find the money to get a good uh, good offensive line when you're paying him a record setting contract? That's but, what this league is now. You gotta you gotta build the team and you gotta build the team quick around the rookie contract because that contract is cheap compared to what these guys are getting paid now. $40 million. I mean, some guys, like, the rookie contract, the total of it is less than what some of these guys are going to be making every year over the next, like, 10, 15 years. Playing as a Chiefs fan, is Joe Burrow now your most hated player in football? I don't think it's just because I'm a Chiefs fan. I think it's because I'm a human being. <laughs> I, you can't you can't wear a zebra print suit to the Super Bowl and then lose. And and not even bring a change of clothes. He had to walk out in a zebra print <laughs> suit. He had to walk out suit. limping. That just shows. That just shows. Limping. Yeah, he he's injury MCL. prone. He sprained his MCL uh. <laughs> because of his offensive line. All right, uh, to talk about the Bengals, do I have permission to go with a really, really hot take here? Yeah, hot permission, take permission to go take. there? Yes, hot absolutely. Go ahead, Jason. The Jets are gonna be the are gonna be the Bengals of next season. Oh, okay. and we started. Okay. <laughs> and we started. I actually don't mind that hot take, but I have to see Zach Wilson first in this offense. All like all of this talk about the Jets next year, it all depends on Zach Wilson. No matter what we do in free agency, what we do in the draft, how well coached we are, it all comes down to the quarterback. Where like he he was awful first half of the season. He looked better at the end of the year, but when you throw nine touchdowns to uh, to, to eleven picks, that's n- not nearly enough as a f- potential franchise quarterback. So gonna need gonna need to see more, but. If we can, we have a lot of money. We have two very high draft picks, and overall, just a lot of draft picks, even second, third round. So, if we can get a, a number one wide receiver, build our defense, maybe get like a get an edge rusher, a safety, I think there's a chance that we could not not be like a, I would say not be like a 12, 13 win team, but sneak in as like as a playoff team and maybe make some noise. There's a chance. Maybe make some noise. I, I don't know about doing much more than that. I mean, uh, I would love to sign Jesse Bates this offseason. Just get him, Marcus Williams, someone 
to lead that because this year, like our, our defense, we wanted two veteran safeties, and with May and Joiner, both were done for the year by even the halfway point. So if we can get some veteran leaders on defense, and Zach Wilson can take that next step that he should be able to take, uh, if we provide him some better receivers, better offensive line, I think. There's a chance. Does Jesse Bates make the Jets a Super Bowl contender? That's the big question everyone's asking. Uh, even I will say no to that one. But <laughs> So we're going to talk about the offseason, but I want to switch because we talked about the Bengals. Let's talk about the Rams really quickly. They are the champions, the Los Angeles Rams. I think they had the complete opposite concept this year as the Bengals were still rebuilding and they you know, had a really cool run but ultimately didn't have the talent enough to, to win. The Rams had almost a super team. They traded lots of draft picks uh, to get the star players they needed to win in the Super Bowl. So the question I have is, is this the new way of football now? The Bucs did it last year. They got Brady. They got the talent. They traded for pieces down the road to win with almost, you can call a super team. And now the Rams did it. They traded for Matthew Stafford. They created the super team with Odell and Von Miller. And they won a Super Bowl. So is this the new way of the NFL building a super team to win? I don't I don't think what they're doing I don't think every team is capable of doing what Tampa and LA did because as the Rams, you can it's a lot easier to get like some of these older veteran guys to come into your team knowing you're in LA, knowing that like you can play there for two years and then you can settle down in LA and have so many like say like Cleveland tried to do that, trying to like bring guys in. Like I, I feel like players wouldn't be as open to doing that. And also like for the for the Rams, there's not like you you're not gonna get the chance to get a guy like Stafford or Brady every single year because they're they're two great quarterbacks. So it's just our our team's gonna like when you have a window, you gotta buy. Like you gotta trade those picks for Von Miller. You gotta try and sign Odell. But I don't think. It's it's sustainable to be able to get a guy like Stafford or Brady uh, as consistently as it has been the past two years. It's also tough to have a super team in the NFL because you only play one game every round of the playoffs. It's a lot easier in like basketball, where you could if you have one bad game, you come back and you win the next four. I, I and anything can happen in one uh, playoff football game, so teams might try it, but you still have. Like, right now, the favorites to win next year are the Bills and Chiefs, and they're both teams that didn't go out and just buy free agents. They built through the draft. So maybe in the future, but right now, I still don't think that's the case. Also, like, no matter what you do, like, getting guys, like, it, it, it all comes down to your quarterback. So you could, if you're, like, if you're the Vikings, you could go out and sign every free agent out there. But, like, it's like, do you think you can win a Super Bowl with a guy like Kirk Cousins? I... I honestly don't think so because just as we've seen recently, like when it comes down to these games in the Super Bowl, usually the better quarterback comes out with the win. Oh, 100%. This is a QB-driven league now, and you still have to surround it with talent, but like a lot of these games now, like you can pick the game, the winner just based on better QB play. Where like guys that made the Super Bowl in their early decades, you know, didn't have the best quarterback, but maybe had the best defense, or maybe had the best line, the best weapons, and that's not necessarily in the case now. Your defense can't really carry you that far. They can only carry you a certain way, and your QB has to take that notch up to get you that, that W. So. I mean, even just, like, going back to Burrow, you have to take advantage when you have a good quarterback. I mean, like, what people thought once Dan Marino made that one Super Bowl, he would never come back. Like, he's 
he, he's an all-time great quarterback. He's the Hall of Famer. He's top 10 in every passing category. It's like you have to – you really have to take advantage of quarterbacks, like Tapa said, yeah. in this day and age in the NFL. Do you think the Rams make it back? Or have any shot in the world of making it back? Um, if they can get everybody back, yes, because I think the NFC is getting weaker. The Tom Brady's already retired. We have no idea what Aaron Rodgers is doing. It should be the Rams conference, honestly. I think the Niners may be the second best team in the conference, honestly, and we don't even know who's their quarterback. And then we all know the Cowboys suck. Uh, so the NFC, the AFC is more of a dogfight because there's just so many young QBs and so many young teams. The NFC, though, is more like up in the air, I feel like, this year. I mean, with their talent, I'd say they have a shot, but like the Super Bowl hangover is real. It's, it's so hard to to win two straight Super Bowls, just back to what Clayton said, like, the NFL playoffs, it's just one single game, so no matter how good you are, you could, you could have one team just be, like, magical for one game, and your season's over just like that, so I, I, it just, I would feel more confident with a team like the Chiefs or Bills, like, I, I would go to Vegas on the odds that the Rams repeat, just because it's so hard to repeat. In the, the NFL. The question I have with the Chiefs and Bills is that I'll see if Clay disagrees, but that you know the Bills lost their offensive coordinator, Dable, and the Chiefs has an opportunity. Possibly they may lose Bienemy. Have you have you seen what's going on with Bienemy? I did read about it a little bit. Do you know? Can you like? It it's a mess right now. We there's there's some stuff. It might be fake news. There's some people saying some of it's true, some's not. But there's an article released on. Uh, Wednesday, that's basically said that the enemy that a lot of people in the Chiefs organization blame the enemy for a lot of the stuff that's going on. It dates back to the like mid part of the 2020 season uh, when they they him and Mahomes or him and Reed would get in big fights about what they wanted to do, and obviously the enemy's the play caller, so he had ultimate say in the offense. What, that. The is the play it, yeah, it, it is. It has been confirmed, uh, and then. When he started interviewing for jobs, he was doing it in the middle of the playoffs and had a couple of interviews that happened between the AFC Championship game and the Super Bowl. So while he was out interviewing, Reed and Patrick implemented their game plan for the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl against the Bucks, Super Bowl 55. Uh, and then when BNME came back from his interviews, after the entire game plan was set and both Reed and Mom's liked it, he basically vetoed it and said he didn't want to do this, and came up with his own thing. Uh, and a lot of people within the Chiefs organization kind of blame him for that. That's what the reports say, at least. And then uh, the Chiefs didn't really want to bring him back for another year, but because of all the optics and stuff, uh, the NFL does have a problem with hiring black head coaches. They didn't want to get rid of and move on from one of the most prominent uh, minority uh, offensive coordinators in the league and they knew that he had a chance to get head coaching offers he'd been getting interviews so they brought him back on a one-year deal uh, then uh, after week two of the NFL season the Chiefs lost to Baltimore he went into a meeting with Mike Kafka the Chiefs former uh, quarterbacks coach and now the New York Giants offensive coordinator but it was Kafka Mahomes and Bienemy. And Bianami just ripped into Patrick. He started yelling at him and screaming at him. And pretty much everyone in the Chiefs organization said that there was no reason to do that. 
But Holmes wasn't playing. It didn't have, like, a bad game. It wasn't his fault, and, like, the yelling wasn't necessary. And he ended up having to be separated. Mahomes and Bietamie had to be separated by Andy Reid. So that's a mess. And then in week, after the Week 5 game against Buffalo, where the Chiefs got embarrassed in primetime, uh, Bietamie's roles as a uh, offensive coordinator started going down, and Kafka got more say. He became the passing game coordinator, started drawing up more routes and more play designs. Uh, so Bietamie's power started getting less and less. And then at the same time, Reed told Andy Reed told the production crews of CBS and Fox to stop showing Bietemy on the sideline. And Bietemy, you can look at the numbers. Bietemy's screen time went way down, and a lot of people who went to games, like fans of the Chiefs, fans of opposing teams, said they saw uh, Bietemy getting in fights with Kelsey and Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, just screaming matches on the sidelines, which is why Reed didn't want them to be on. Uh, camera. So then, flash forward, this is happening throughout the entire season, there's a big rift. Flash forward to the AFC Championship game. The play before the half, uh, Tyreek Hill runs a, goes in motion, goes outside, Mahomes dumps it to him, and they dunk it into the end zone, time runs out. You can see Mahomes trying to call timeout with two seconds left, but the Chiefs didn't have any timeouts. Apparently, this is what the reports say, Eric Bieniemy told Patrick that he had a timeout left and to run this play, and if it didn't work, call a timeout and they would kick a field goal. That was a, a terrible move on his part, not knowing how many timeouts you have left. Patrick didn't realize it either. And uh, after that play, they go into the locker room. Before they even get to the locker room in the tunnel, Reed has to separate them again because they're just screaming at each other. Uh, it, it was a mess. The, all at halftime. They're just yelling at each other, and you can see it. The Chiefs came out completely flat the second half. They looked like a totally different team, like something had gone wrong. Uh, there were times when uh, Bienemy would call a play, and Andy Reid would then say into Patrick's headset, like, why in the world would we do that? Like, don't do this. And then Bienemy would get mad at him, and Kafka would chime uh, in and say, we're blowing this game. We're doing everything wrong. Like, why are we running this play? So there's a clear lack of trust between Reed and Bienemy and between Patrick and Bienemy. So it it seems like right now the only reason he's still there is because of optics. But I, that's what there are like Tyreek Hill came out and said that not all of that's true. So we don't really know what's going on, but it it's a mess right now. If if that's true, that's just awful. Like especially in that big of a game to be like like at Ask Mahomes, what do you do when you have three people in your ear all telling you to do like different things? Your OC's yelling at you. That because th- that play call before halftime, I was like, what are they doing? Like, there's, it, if they had a timeout, sure, it's like a little gimmick play that you try a team that like you have a lead. But, like, I'm thinking to myself, how do you not at least put the ball in the end zone there? Yeah, and you hear Bengals players saying that that was like what turned around the game because the Chiefs dominated the first half, yeah, oh, but it, then because they got that stop, it was total domination in the first half. I like. Uh, that was that's still I know a lot crazy. of people say <clears throat> sorry players before coaches but if that game doesn't prove how important coaching is having the best QB on the planet and the fact that the enemy says that and you can't come up with a game plan to beat the Bengals when you're up 18 is just mind boggling and it just shows how important coaching is yeah and, and Mahomes didn't have a great game like, like he doesn't deserve, or he deserves to have some of the blame too. But it was a terrible performance by the enemy. Yeah. 
by the rest of the Chiefs coaching staff. Yeah, and it's, I, I know you're not going to agree with me, but I think they should have ran the ball more at the start of the second half. They're up a lot. They Their run game was torching the Bengals' defense. Now, I, I agree that if you lose a playoff game, you want to lose because of Mahomes rather than the running game, but I just feel like there's no way it could have gone worse than it did if they had run the ball a significant more of it. Yeah, I mean, McKinnon was popping off in the first half, and then we decided to go more to Clyde in the second. So just, I, that was, was another made, thing. That, that made no sense either. Like, if that was the enemy, that's just like yeah. in the running backs, you got to ride the hot hand. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. it's frustrating because, like, we wanted to get rid of him, but we brought him back for one more year, mm-hmm. and yeah. it just didn't work. Well, I agree with Jason. As someone who had the opportunity to watch the film on the second half of the Chiefs Bengals game, I think their running game was fantastic. But the problem is. The quantity of them running the ball was lacking in the second half. They they threw it a lot with Mahomes and it didn't work. Yeah, it's also it's it's just tough. It's just a really tough scenario with the optics. Like even it just because the enemy's gotten like you said he's gotten interviews. He's been like right there to be a head coach. So it's almost like you don't want to get rid of him. But then if he's having these problems with Mahomes and the players, it's like you almost have to. So you're kind of just like stuck. Yeah, it, it's a tough situation. But moving on, it's 2.03 p.m., just changed to a 4 p.m., and you are listening to 89.1 WXVU The Roar. Uh, the Super Bowl is gone. That means we are now at the NFL offseason. Woo! Uh, for this me and Tapo, this is, is the, the best part of the season moment. for us. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we look forward to every year as Giants and Jet fans. So the Giants already have a new GM and coaching staff. The Jets are looking to build on a few bright spots from this past season. So now we focus on the draft. Uh, in Topic Shea's latest mock draft, he has Evan Neal and Aiden Hutchinson going one and two. He also doesn't have a quarterback going in the first ten. So does this seem like a real possibility? What do you guys think? Yes, it does, but come March and April, the QB talk will will start, especially at this scouting combine. Uh there will be definitely at least one QB that that just rises because QBs are always always overvalued, and I think there's a great chance that a QB goes in the like, top ten. The only QB I can think of that I could see potentially going top ten is Pickett. Yeah, but Kenny that, Heisman. Yeah, I mean, but that's pending. Like he's got to have a good pro day. He's got to look at the combine because it's just like even thinking about like would the Panthers go for a quarterback? I don't know, considering they just used assets to like trade for Darnold they've been kind of they also need help elsewhere too uh the Falcons could but I mean like they, they also like they I, I don't know that they've rode with Matt Ryan the past like three years and people have always mentioned a quarterback so you really have no idea what blank and them are going to do and then the Broncos are they going to end up with Rodgers are they going to go after another free agent quarterback you really have no idea like as of right now it doesn't look good but there's a there is I would say there is a possibility that a team's gonna trade up in the top ten or one of those three teams are gonna pick a quarterback. Yeah, I think with uh, Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson being on the market, it, it adds a wrench into the draft because you both teams would obviously rather have uh, a established veteran quarterback, and the teams like uh, or the quarterbacks in this draft might not be the best. So yeah, we'll see what happens. Currently, Kenny Pickett is number eleven to the. Washington Commanders. Yeah, I've heard rumors Panthers like Pickett, so could they snag him at six? And I've heard rumors that the Steelers like Willis, but 
I haven't done my mock draft yet. We'll eventually do it down the road. But as a Giants fan, and Jason as a Jets fan too, I hope, it probably won't happen, but I hope a QB gets picked in the top three because that allows more of the top prospects to fall to us. I mean, just look at Tom McShay's. He had Thibodeau falling to five to the Giants, yeah. which just, yeah. uh, I mean, he, he had a staking at one of the tackle out of NC State at four. And as much as I would love to grab another tackle to kind of solidify our offensive line, the fact, like, if any, if Thibodeau or Hutchinson, top two edge rushers in the draft, a lot of people had them going one and two up until a few weeks ago when Neil and Equanu started moving up. I think there's no way that Thibodeau or Hutchinson will fall past four. Yeah, I've, if heard, they're there for the Jets. I've heard rumors Thibodeau is falling, and, um, and Coward, like, reported that, like, Thibodeau said he's going to be a giant, which. You can't just say that in February. You haven't even done that scouting combine yet. But, yeah, they were both falling. But if the Jets don't snag him up by four, I mean, it depends who's on the board, too. It depends who's on the board. The question is, would the Jets rather have a pass rusher or an offensive tackle? Yeah, I mean, I a lot of mock drafts had us taking Stingley at four, which I would not be a fan of at all. You know, as... Just he hasn't really played since this, he had a great freshman year. He's he like the talent's there, but you can't, especially with the Jets who've had injuries just plague them the past two years. You, you, you can't draft anybody who's injury prone with either of these top ten draft picks. Maybe if like Stingley falls to ten, you take a flyer, but even then, it's very dangerous taking a guy that's gone through the injuries that he's gone through. You did say that the. The Jets are the Bengals of this next season. So we learned from the Bengals, don't take the offensive lineman. Take the best player on the board. That is true. Well, I I would love for a any for a receiver anywhere near Chase's caliber to be in the draft this year, but I just don't. Like, uh, McShay has London, Drake London out of USC, going number eight as his top receiver. Would I like the Jets to maybe get him at 10? Yes, but... I, I think if we want to go the Bengals route and take like and find a receiver even anywhere near Chase, I mean, just for us, we we're just looking for that X receiver. You know, you have Corey Davis, who would be a solid number two receiver outside. You have Elijah Moore, who looks to be a very good slot receiver. Uh, I think if we're going to go anywhere, my route would be to go for the Stefan Diggs type trade for a guy like Ridley, because there are a few receivers on the market this year. But... Uh, I'm hearing really to the Chiefs. Really <laughs> I don't know. Really that, would, to the that would be bold. That would be really bold. I think the Chiefs can grab someone late in the first round. I've heard Jamison Williams and Jahan Dotson possibly. The, two, the, two good receivers. The only, Williams team. was the guy I liked, but after he like got hurt. torn ACL, you can't you can't that, take that that's chance. That's why the guy from USC. He, like I, actually, I yeah, I think he would be like for for a team like the Chiefs that. Like a team like the Jets, you really gotta focus on winning like every single game. You gotta look for that hot start. For the Chiefs, they're such a good team that you could take a guy like Williams who had that injury and he could come back later in the year. You kind of get him involved. He's such a talented receiver that he would because we saw with the Chiefs this year after losing Watkins, like the receivers after Hill. As much as like Pringle's a good like depth receiver, Hardman's a speedy guy who once he gets the ball in his hand can do, can do a lot. Uh, the Chiefs could use another receiver out wide that can really open up games like Watkins said. Yeah, the the problem is I'd rather take a someone on the defense. Like we have no secondary right now, especially if Matthew leaves in free agency. 
So I I would rather get a, a trade for a wide receiver, or find one in free agency instead of and then focus on defense in the draft. So would you feel comfortable with Hill, Hardman, as Pringle as your top three receivers next year? I think the Chiefs can find someone in the second round. I'd feel more comfortable with Hill, Hardman, Pringle as our top three, and then well, like a lockdown corner and a good safety and good linebacker. Yeah, corner. Uh-huh, then yeah. having huge holes on defense and having Ridley and Hill. Yeah, that uh, yeah. Corner. Giants need O line, bad. I'm done. I'm done with a decade bad offensive line. I'm done. I've had enough. So are are you fine with passing on Iguanu for Thibodeau and then getting Charles Cross, the that's, tackle from Mississippi State? That's a good question. Or would you like? Cause think about it. You based on McShay's mock draft, you could get two offensive tackles. That well, if you're drafting an offensive lineman with a top ten pick, you're thinking that he's gonna be at least the starting caliber player for the next ten years. Yeah, that's a great question. Um. I hope the Texans get Hamilton because if they get Hamilton, that frees up prospects to drop to us, assuming that we get the play the Jets don't get. Mm-hmm. It, if assuming Neil, because I guess Neil is rising on boards, is like the number one pick all of a sudden. Well, I one I, I saw one where uh, where Equano was, was one, one, and I then know. his his odds, was hit, him and Neil, both of their odds have gone up a ton yeah. for that. Because also thinking like I saw the Jags, like it was like Thibodeau or Hutchinson a lock. They like for the Lions, it makes more sense to take that edge guy because you don't yeah. have your quarterback yet. Yeah, like the Jags have Lawrence, so I would get you. It. You have to find someone for Lawrence. Oh, learn, learn. Like you got it from the Bengals, please. Yeah, left tackle. But um, Charles Cross is the best pass protector. However, he has only played left tackle, and we already have our left tackle. Thank God. Um, <laughs> but um, I've heard Thibodeau falling, and I would really want to go like he's my top prospect right now for the Giants to get. However, the top four teams really do need a Guanu, and I could see the top four in no particular order being Hutchinson, Thibodeau, Neil, and Guanu, and then the Giants having to decide: Oh, what are we going to do with five? Are we going to get Hamilton, uh, Cross? Are we going to trade back? Are we going to get Linderbaum, who's one of the best center prospects to come out? So, I well, we're going to trade back. I've heard rumors that Shane, our new GM, would possibly trade the seventh pick to get another first round pick next year to have trade value to get a QB next year since this QB uh, class is not as strong as next year's. Would you, looking back, remember like how everyone was saying that the tackle class two years ago was like you had guys like Becton, Thomas, Wills. Do you think that Neil, Iguanu, or Cross are at that level of tackle prospect or are these guys weaker it's just that since this class is more depth than top tier talent that these guys are take, getting taken early because like the quarterbacks the receivers are not there this year I think um, one I, I probably have to watch more film I like watching film on the offensive lineman so I will do that and I will get back to that but I think the tackle depth when we got Andrew Thomas and Wirfs and Beckton and Wills was better because there were more tackle. There was more depth in the tackle prospect. What as this year, there's a decent drop off between Cross, Neil, and Ikwonu. Um, Penning uh, is rising. I think he's from Northern Iowa. I saw his uh, senior day. Oh my God! Please, I hope he is there like in the mid rounds. But I think the difference between three years ago and, or two years ago and this year is that there's a decent drop off between O linemen. Mm-hmm. Like there's a clear top four. It's the three tackles and Linderbaum with a big drop-off between the fifth Even, best. like, 
This year, you could put Neil and Iguanu there more. You can kind of move them around. They can probably play left and right. Like you said with Cross, he's a little one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. Like he only really fits one spot. So, yeah, it's tough because Andrew Thomas played right and he switched to the left and he struggled his rookie year. But he was uh, again PFF is a big favorite of mine and he was a top one hundred and one PFF player. Andrew Thomas, our only one, which was, is, was he not which, top hundred? <laughs> They do, they do top 101. I think he was 80 something. Okay. <laughs> but uh, he was our only. He was our only. He was our only PFF player, which means our roster is terrible. <laughs> thanks to, honestly, probably one of the worst general managers in modern day history, and Gettleman. Thank you, no thank you for that. All right, well, it is now 2.15 p.m. We have 15 minutes left on this Friday afternoon. Uh, one quick ad. Arts, energy, engineering, nursing, and science studies can earn a business minor in one summer. That's right. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Topo. You engineering student. You want to earn the business. Ahead, this business ahead. minor. Right about the business school. You that can is, do it. That is true. Business school is awesome. Here. You can do it all in one summer. Just add a valuable component to your academic and professional credentials through the Villanova School of Business's 10-week, 16-credit Summer Business Institute, or SBI. Learn more by attending any one of the fall information events available on the website. Probably should say spring. Uh, pursue the SBI website at Villanova at business.villanova.edu slash SBI. That's business.villanova.edu slash SBI. Or call 610-519-5532. That's 610-519-5532 to schedule an individual appointment to discuss the SBI farther. Now, uh, 15 minutes left. Let's do some a quick segment. This is what we like to call headline grab, where we just search the internet and find one headline and talk about it. I found one. Jason and Tapo don't know what I've found. Here it goes. Are you ready, Tapo? This one's for you. I'm ready. Oh boy. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Go for it. Headline: Bryson DeChambeau oh, is quote I, I moving to the Saudi Golf League. That's right. He might be leaving the PGA Tour. I'm not going to read the article, but what do you think of the headline? Um, he's doing much better for him. Uh, he does have an injury. So he can finally win because he can't win in the PGA Tour. He, honestly, yeah. He can't right now because he's hurt. So he will go to the Saudi Arabia, do what's best for him. I think I'm confident he'll be back, uh, you know, rehabbing. He's recovering. He, you know, he's played in most of the tournaments last year so he's uh he'll be all right are you sure i'm sure the, the headline clearly says he's moving well also if you think about it he'd only really do it for the money so like now he, he here's a quote from john like i know a lot of players have spoken out against the saudi league like here's a little thing from john ron uh i've said it many times in press conferences before i don't do this for the money which to me is the only appeal to go over there they throw numbers at you and that's supposed to impress people i'm in the game for the love of golf and the love of the game and to become a champion, right? Like, grew up watching many of the greats playing, such as this one. There's history and legacy to the PGA Tour. That has more appeal to a guy like John Rahm than does the money of the Saudi League. So, so we have to ask the question, does Bryson DeChambeau <laughs> love golf? Or is he only in it for the money? Like I'm a big DeChambeau fan, but honestly, I don't know what goes up in his mind. He's doing what's best for him, and... You know, I will. Uh, I'm excited to watch him play wherever, whatever country he's playing, whatever tour he's playing. I'm excited. Uh, but uh, I'm telling you right now, watch out because he is preparing for an awesome golf season. All right, do you guys have any headline grabs you want to share? 
Mine was actually going to be uh, the John. <laughs> I love John Rahm's quote about the Saudi League. I'm, I'm a. I don't like that idea at all. I think like. I just there's, the PJ Tour is awesome. Like you have all the best golfers in the world. Every tournament is huge. You have, especially nowadays in golf, where it's not like a guy like Tiger's dominating every tournament. You have probably like fifteen to twenty guys that every tournament have like the odd like you look at the Vegas odds for each tournament it's like everybody's right there so uh the fact that Rob Morikawa and guys like Nakaroa have already been very adamant that they want to stay in the PGA Tour I I I I love that from those guys yeah it's very cool uh I saw something about the Knicks I'm not a Knicks fan but Jason is. Yeah, Jason. Uh, I guess it's uh, is this you. the twenty point loss. Thing? Yeah, I I heard they look like a twenty eight point lead, whatever. And title is Knicks on troubling trajectory with Tom Thibodeau tied ways. So I know Thibodeau coached the Bulls and the Timberwolves, and this is becoming a pattern where he does well his first year and he does bad his second year, and he hasn't changed his ways yet. You know, it's more like past basketball where it's physical, but it's not in today's league. You can't play physical basketball like that and sustain eighty two game season. So the question is, do you think Tom Thibodeau will get fired after this year? I think he should get fired. I'm not. I'll say it right now. I'm not a huge. I don't want a lot. I don't watch too much of the NBA. I'm not all that much of a Knicks fan, but in just what I have watched and what I've listened to, I think that Thibodeau was good for the team last year because he was good to coach Barrett up, uh, where Barrett's comfortable playing 30 plus minutes a night, where he's comfortable playing every game at his top potential but when you have a young team and you trade for a guy like Cam Reddish and there's the opportunity that Zion wants to leave New Orleans you cannot keep playing these veterans like Alec Burks you have to give the young guys a chance the, the I mean if you look at the next season they're doing the same thing every game and obviously it's not working and Thibodeau is so set in his ways that he does the same thing every game and it's just like if you if you want this Knicks team to get better for the next few years, you have to play these young guys to see what you have because then that shows you, like, do you have to go out and try and get a guy, like, try and trade for a guy like Lillard, try and sign the top free agent? Or do you feel comfortable with, like, your backcourt or your frontcourt where maybe you can you can still go with Randall and then try and get a guy like Zion? But with Thibodeau, you have no idea because he just plays the same five vets every game and leaves a guy like Cam Radish on the bench or he plays, like, four minutes. Quick comment, uh, this is for Clay, and uh, Villanova has this cool, I guess everybody does this app, uh, anonymous talking of Yik Yak, and there was a lot of mentions on the Blues two days ago. I don't know what that was about, but do you know what's up with that? Two days ago, I was all in on the Blues, thought we could do win it all easily, and then last night we lost to the Canadians, so... I don't know what to think about the Blues anymore. Yeah, it's it's bad. Quick thirty second snippet on the Islanders as well, Jason. Uh, it, it's just bad. You know, we we you make two straight con- conference finals, especially last year. You're you're one goal away from making the Stanley Cup against the Canadians. Like that that was the year. I mean, and you know we try to run it back with these veterans. We try to run the same lineup. We play Ross Johnston, who's just a total goon on the second line. Cal Clutterbuck, who's also a goon on the first line. Where players like our young guys like Bellows and Wallstrom, who can score goals, are sitting on the bench. 
it's just as much as I love we have a Hall of Fame head coach and a Hall of Fame GM. As much as I love Barry Trotz and Lou Lamarillo, something needs to change. Uh, last night we beat the Bruins four one. I don't know where that came from, but uh, after especially after losing to the Sabres six three like two days ago. But I think this year is lost, especially you have uh, you have eight teams in the Eastern Conference who I think were like 15 points out of uh, that eight, eight spot. So I think it's better to kind of sit back this year and then try to make a move next year. Yeah, I just started watching hockey uh, as a Devils fan, but all the bad things about the Blues plus all the bad things about the Islanders probably don't even equate to how bad the Devils are. Well, at least the Devils have have uh, Dougie Hamilton. He's a great... And Jack Hughes, the kid. Yeah, I'm excited to see him in a couple of years, but we'll see about hockey. All right, one more headline I found. All right, go for it. It's from Deadspin four hours ago. Hot off the paint. It's hard to even care about the MLB lockout. Is that true? Do we care about the MLB lockout? Honestly, I don't. I don't. I read something, too, today that if, like, they don't get this done by, like, the 28th, which is the last day in February, the season will not start on time. And that is in 10 days. And I don't trust that at all. So I'm a little concerned. I mean, I don't – with Rob Manfred as your commissioner, like, I don't trust any I, – I can't trust anyone or anything the MLB is saying right now. He He's just awful. Like, I have no faith in Manfred. I saw something today that said the owners are putting together like the the fine print sort of thing where they don't have a deal in place, but they have a, like 90% of it agreed upon so that as soon as they get the final 10% that they're arguing about done, they can start the season. So it seems like they're planning to try to – it's going to take a while, but they could like go from a deal to start playing in is a week. Just, is, it that t- is, it that t- is that 10% like the toughest part? Yeah, like the that's, that's the stuff that they're definitely not going to agree on. Right. They're non-negotiables for both sides. So uh, Holding out hope. We're, we're all Yankees, Cardinals fans, Jason and I, and Clay the Cardinals fans. So, you know, we have teams that at least had a chance to contend. So we really do want to watch baseball. I mean, the, the, the lockout felt good as a Yankees fan to kind of, like, forget about yeah. the absolute blunder yeah. of a free agency Yan- period that happened. Yankees and Cardinals fans coming out from two awful wild card losses, and then both of our teams doing nothing so far. At least the Cardinals got Steven Matz, but at least the Yankees have Stanton and Judge. Oh God, there's, some, there's always some yeah, hope and then there. Judge, and then Judge came on a podcast saying, uh, uh, "If they sign us, I want to be in Pinchide, but if they don't, then I." That's that's. I mean, I'm like, what? We better <laughs> sign this man to a deal, or the Yankees have crossed the line. That I trust me, trust me, Yankee fans. You're in your last draw. Ownership and a run if if they don't sign Judge with Yankee fans. On the, Would on you the stop watching Yankee baseball if they don't Boy, resign the Judge? Yankees. I'd be close. I'd be close to stop. I mean, you're uh, almost on your last draw. I wouldn't. Of course, I'll keep watching Yankee. Would baseball. it be my like how I like boycotted watching the Jets last year until they fired Gase? Would it be like that kind of thing or? No, because the Yankees will find a way to win. The problem is that we're winning. It's just we gotta not. You can't do well in the playoffs. That's the difference. You know. So you're not winning. Well, We're not winning when it matters most. Well, one just thing like I, just like Gonzaga, it's coming full circle, huh? Gonzaga wins, but <laughs> they don't win when it matters most. I guess. Yeah. Well, one thing I saw that worried me. It was like a little. I forget where I saw it on Twitter, but it was like, uh, will this Yankees drought turn into a curse? Because this is 2010s are the first are the first decade when the Yankees don't no. win a title. It's like, it's a little worrisome as a Yankees fan because that's every a, that's a good headline. every oh, every God. year. Like, 
where on paper you look at the Yankees roster and it's one of the top three teams in baseball. Like it, it really should be ALCS or bust every single year for us. And recently that has not been the case. Yeah, we've been a top five team the past five years, but like we're not that top one team. And the Astros, the Red Sox, the Braves, Braves, Braves are probably you. A lot of people predicted the Braves to be the worst team in the postseason, and they won it. So the fact that the Yankees have failed to do that the past four years in the playoffs, five years, apologies, is really rough. And I, I, I hope. I mean, we had an '80s drought, but then we won like four in the '90s or three in the '90s and one in the '00s. So if if we don't if we don't do anything this year, I, I'm telling you, this is Cashman's last. This is Cashman's last. So draw. just uh, I just got an update. Uh, I saw an ESPN update. As of two minutes ago, the MLB officially postponed spring training games through March 5th, and they're going to plan to continue negotiations with the MLBPA on Monday. Wow, Breaking up. news. Buckle up. Buckle right, up. Well, we're going to have to take it, end it there. Thank you for spending your Friday afternoon with us. Uh, catch us again, the Scoop and Score radio show, uh, every Friday from 1 to 2.30. Uh, thank you for listening, and have a good weekend. Villanova University's WXVU Villanova. Online at wxvu.villanova.edu 